You are listening to Where is the Line? The stories you will hear will be depraved, disturbing, and true. If you are easily unsettled, you may find this program offensive. And if you are under the age of 18, fuck off. Police found 28 human-sized dolls which he had prepared himself using clothes which were stolen from the graves in cemeteries and also mummified fragments of human bodies. Everybody drinking blood, everybody eating brains, some monster party. Everybody eating flesh, everybody breaking bones, some monster party. Thank you for listening to episode 15 of Where is the Line? My name is Kevin, and with me today is my best friend and Vanderbilt Psych Ward's no-poop champion, (laughs) Samantha. Say something disturbing, Samantha. (laughs) Withering and shrinking. Withering and shrinking. When you hear the phrase withering and shrinking, honk your horn. (laughs) Wasn't expecting that. (laughs) The no-poop champion? Yeah. Well, it's true. It's true. I'm beaming with pride. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot's happened. I got back from Podcast Movement not long ago. Yeah. The best thing about Podcast Movement. Tell me. Two fans drove an hour and a half to come to my hotel and take me out drinking. It was that actually, well, I think it was probably more along the lines of one fan and that that person drugged the other person along with them. Okay. But, that uh, is so nice. I know, right? Corey. Yeah. And Carrie Joe, Shout out to y'all. Thank you for taking care of Kevin. Yes, thank you so much. And they were hilarious, too. I wish you could have met them. Me, too. Because <laughs> within, within 30 minutes of meeting them, so this is a, this is a married couple. Um, okay. And they started telling me that they had named their own vaginas. Really? <laughs> okay. And I'm not going to say which one is which. Okay. And they they also told me it was okay to tell the story. But one Bless of them me. one of them told me the name of theirs and then the other one said that their vagina was named Buckingham Palace. And really? It's so, so always like <laughs> so so you're saying that it's beautiful, right? Yeah. And she goes, "No, it's just big." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I've been waiting so long to tell you that story. Oh, my God. I've told everybody I know that story except for you. Wow. You've been holding that back. I know. I know. So it's Friday the 13th. I know. I told myself I wasn't going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you did. Have you had any bad luck lately? Oh, actually, I did. You know, I didn't even put that together, but it is Friday the 13th, and my car got broken into last night. That's horrible. I'm really sorry about that. Well, it's not really Friday the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the, this, this episode just gets released on Friday the 13th. So speaking of the episode, are you ready to get into it? Yes. Let's do it. Okay. In 2011, Russian police raided the home of a highly intelligent and generally well-regarded historian and linguist named Anatoly Moskvin. They discovered almost 30 life-size dolls, many of which were clothed in frilly dresses and ornate headscarves. The idea of a 45-year-old man keeping a huge collection of life-sized dolls in his parents' house, which is where Moskvin was living at the time, is plenty creepy enough. 
These were not dolls, though. They were actually the mummified and prettified remains of 29 dead females that Moskvin had dug up and brought home. So what's up with this guy? That's what we're talking about today. Anatoly Moskvin and his gussied up corpse collection. (laughs) In the mid-2000s, Russian police started investigating the streak of grave desecrations that's happening in and around Nizhny Novgorod. Now, Nizhny Novgorod is a big city. It's currently the fifth largest city in Russia, and it has a population of about 1.2 million, and so that makes it comparable to uh, Dallas here in the United States. And that's also around the size of Adelaide for our Australian listeners. Wow, I did not know that. Natasha and Sarah. So I mentioned that for the benefit of uh, those of us who are like me that grew up in a small town. So if, if something this weird happens in places like where me and Samantha are from, where somebody is going and fucking up graves. Yeah. Uh, yeah it, there's usually like a, a, a suspect in town. You can say, oh, that, that's, that's creepy Carl did that or that's for crazy sure. Eddie. Uh, but somewhere <laughs> like this, a, a big city like this. Uh, with a, such a huge pool of potential suspects, things are a little more complicated. And on top of that, this is a college town, which means that you have academics all over the place doing all kinds of weird things that academics do. For sure. And Nizhny Novgorod has seven universities in that city. And this is why no one thought that Anatoly Moskvin was up to anything especially nefarious when he starts spending a huge amount of time in the area's cemeteries. Not at all. Because Moskvin was himself part of this city's academic community. Absolutely. Um, He was an incredibly smart man. Uh, He's a historian. He specialized in Celtic history, and he actually presented lectures at one of the Nizhny Novgorod state universities. And that system of universities is considered to be among the best in Russia, by the way. Uh, Moskvin was also a linguist. He supposedly spoke 13 languages. Mm -hmm. I was never able to come across anything that indicated how proficient he might have been in all of them. Did you know that he is listed as the compiler of the English, Russian, and Russian English Dictionary with the most common words and phrases? I did not know that. So when Anatoly starts obsessing over these graveyards and literally spending most of his time whenever the the weather cooperates with him in these graveyards, no one really thought too much about that because he was actually doing academic work in there that was actually legitimate. He was a contributor to a weekly journal called Necrologies that's devoted to topics, all things cemetery related. Mm-hmm. So they collect things like obituaries, gravesite information. Which is kind of a, a weird niche I know. publication. You yeah, know. And I, I'm not sure if we have anything like that here. I can't think of anything like that either. And Moskvin himself was considered a necropolist, mm-hmm. which is a cemetery expert. It's interesting, though, because I think something like that might go over around here because, you know, my grandparents were always looking through the papers and you would go up there and they'd be like, guess who died? Oh, yeah. Oh, I've told you before that my grandparents were obsessed with who died in their small town. Like there was a phone number you could call up to the funeral home in town that would list the obituaries of the day. And my grandparents <laughs> were obsessed with calling it every day. And they Every would, day. Yeah, and they would find out, you know, their friends had died because they're all getting up there in age. But I always thought that was so weird that every day, like clockwork, they would call it. Both of them, because they both wanted to listen <laughs> to the... <laughs> 
to the list of people that had just died. There's a market for this yeah. here in the States, I think. Maybe we should start our own necrologies paper. Well, and you know what? I used to go with one of my aunts to old cemeteries, and we would uh, do the charcoal rubbings of, uh, of graves. I've never done one yeah, of those. Yeah, she was interested in uh, our family history. So we were going around to uh, old family tombstones. And, you know, when you were talking about, like, interest in family histories and things. You know, when you read things, when you see all these articles about Anatoly Moskvin, in this case, they talk about how much time he spent in cemeteries. He's digging up these bodies and things of these little girls. But they don't really go into the fact that he was out there for a legitimate purpose. If he was not digging up... <laughs> a fresh corpse, what he was doing out there was actually legitimate. So over the course of about three years, he visited 750 graveyards yes. in Russia. Often walking 20 miles a day going from each of these cemeteries. Yeah, and he did a lot of this with just a backpack. And the, and the reason was that a lot of the rural area around there, the infrastructure's really broken down. So there's not buses that go out to some of these places he wanted to go to. And if you take a car out there, uh, you're probably going to spend as much time getting it unstuck from mud mm -hmm. or yeah. moving fallen trees out of the road as you are actually traveling in it. So he did a lot of this work on foot. And so what he was actually doing was going through these graves, documenting them because they don't have a lot of, uh, well, I mean, Russia's not known for uh, excellent record keeping. <laughs> you know I mean, like these are yeah. the same people that have lost entire nuclear arsenals. Yeah. But anyway, so he's going around to these cemeteries, <laughs> collecting the names, birth and death dates of these people. Right. And this is actually important beyond just, you know, a morbid interest. Because if you think about things like if you want to look at the infant mortality rate, how that changed since the Chernobyl exactly. incident. You're going to get important information off of these tombstones. Yeah. You need to know the birth and death dates of the people before that incident and then the people after it and also for things like genealogy. So this actually yeah. is a worthwhile and important endeavor that he was undertaking. Do you believe, you know, he said that he drank from puddles and spent nights in haystacks during this time mm -hmm. and even slept in an empty coffin that was being ready for a funeral. That was interesting. <laughs> you know, that that interview where he talks yeah. about that mm -hmm. was an interview that was conducted before he got busted with all of these corpses. Exactly. They were just interviewing this guy who... He was a leading expert. Yeah, and yeah. it was an interesting field that he was in. And so they were interviewing him about that. But some of the stuff that he said in retrospect... It makes you wonder, you know, because according to him, he just came up on a casket and it started raining and he crawled in it and then <laughs> went to sleep in it. Yeah. I don't know how things work in Russia, but I don't recall ever seeing empty caskets just sitting out in graveyards Me here neither. in the States. And if you if you think about that now, you know, we, you have to wonder if maybe he is describing an experience of having dug up a grave and slept in the casket with yeah i was kind of uh, i was thinking that was a possibility have you been to a lot of funerals in your lifetime i don't like funerals oh, me neither i don't like i don't really have a problem with dead bodies so much i don't like dead bodies of people that i know <laughs> yeah no i yeah i definitely hate going to funerals of immediate family members and i've been to a lot of those and my family has this weird behavior, and it's specifically, it's really my mom. And she would go up and, like, hold their hands while they're in the casket dead. Uh, she would even bend down and, like, kiss my granny's hand. Nope. And she would try nope. to, like, nope. make me do the same thing. And I'm just like, you're wigging me out. <laughs> 
But anyways, weird funeral behaviors. Yeah, that whole funeral thing just makes me uncomfortable. I just... I don't like having my picture taken and stuff. I'm starting to get a little more comfortable with it, but still, like yeah. the, the idea of—I mean, you—you you look like you're asleep. I don't <laughs> want people to just come like a big line of everybody I know coming. Imagine if you're just asleep in the bedroom and there's a big line of people that you know that just come and like stare at you asleep. I know, like in Victorian times when they would keep the casket with the person like in their living room for a week for everyone to come by and see. Sorry. I, I asked if you'd been to a lot of funerals and what you thought. <laughs> yeah. Back to that interview that they yeah, had. Yeah. So one of the, the weird things he said in that, and like, again, this was before he actually got caught and arrested, was that he had slept in a coffin in retrospect. You kind of wonder how that came about. And, and the second thing that he said was, uh, so he's spending all this time, he's sleeping in these graveyards a lot, you know? Yeah. And he mentioned that... Just kind of out of the blue that there's not a lot of police presence out there. And he also said that if a cop ever does show up there, it's usually just a lazy cop that's coming out there to go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and if you think about that, knowing that while he's giving this interview, he's running around digging up corpses of little girls mm -hmm. And taking them home with him. Yeah. So if you put yourself in the mindset of that, that's actually a really interesting thing to say. Because one, he's basically telling you it's pretty easy to get away with this shit because the cops never come out there. And two, he's also kind of uh, putting the cops on notice. You know, he's saying, yeah. you know, hey, the cops that do come out there to take a nap. You should probably take a nap somewhere else because you never know when Anatoly Moskvin's going to be watching you and catching you asleep on the job. <laughs> maybe he was hoping a cop or two would read that and be like, hey, maybe we don't need to be sleeping out in the cemeteries anymore because there's this scientist guy that's running around out there that's catching us. Let's go somewhere else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You could be a detective. <laughs> So while Mosfin's research, what he's doing out here in these cemeteries seems wildly interesting to academics and people with kind of morbid curiosity. Yes. For the people out in these rural places, not so much. It's just kind of weird to them. And more than one time, uh, Anatoly got accosted by some locals who thought it was uh, really creepy that this guy was just wandering around in their cemeteries in the middle really? of the night. And he actually got picked up by the police a few times, too, just for being a weird guy that spent too much time out in the cemetery. <laughs> uh, but he typically did have what he was working on with him. Yeah. And uh, even if the police didn't understand it, they could see that well, this is a guy that's he's doing work out exactly. here. That's a great cover. So all of this research that Anatoly was doing would have been fine. But in 2003... He starts digging up the bodies of these little children. Right. Between the ages of, was it 3 and 12? Yes. So, according to Anatoly Moskvin, this all started because he wanted a daughter. He sure did. He really did. <laughs> and uh, he asked his parents if uh, they would let him adopt a little girl <laughs> from the nearby orphanage. Do you know why he asked his parents? Um, because he shared a living space with his parents. <laughs> he was... Still living with his parents <laughs> at age 45 and wanting to adopt a little girl from a nearby orphanage. Yes. His parents said no. They dashed his dreams. Yep. And uh, Anatoly had a, a sort of an unusual reaction to uh, being told no by his parents. Uh, when he talked about this later, he said, quote, 
Then I told my mother that I would do black magic and get in touch with the spirits of dead children, mummify their bodies, and keep them at home. <laughs> Fuck you, Mom. <laughs> You're not going to let me have a kid. I'm going to dig one up and mummify it. And, uh... <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe he told his mom that. <laughs> they should have taken him seriously, though, because that's exactly what he went and did. Yes. Uh, he went out to a nearby cemetery and found the grave of a young girl, and he started digging it up. Uh, when he got down to the coffin, he couldn't open it, probably because he's standing in the hole on top of it. Yeah. Uh, so he starts chiseling a hole near where the head should be, and he got that hole big enough that he was able to drag the body out through that hole. Then he took the body off to the side of the cemetery, put it in a different hole, and then he recovered the grave that he that he had dug up to get that body out of it. Um, he said that this first body that he took was in really bad shape. It had decomposed considerably. It was covered in maggots. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he knew that if he was going to be able to keep this body, yeah. he would have to dry it out to be able to slow or stop this decomposition that it was going through. Question. Uh-huh. Have you ever buried something that was dead and then dug it back up later? I feel like I probably have, but I can't remember it. Okay. Well, I remember something that oh, I buried. God, here we go. No, no. This is totally not a big deal. Okay. So when I was like between the ages of 11 and 13, I was obsessed with hermit crabs. My mom worked with some lady that was always going to the beach, and she would always bring me back a hermit crab. Like mm -hmm. every season. Um, and I had several. My first one I named Mel Gibson. I just remember that. <laughs> I do not fucking know why. I mean, I loved Mel Gibson. Anyways, Mel Gibson was the first to die. He was my first one. He was the biggest one. And I went outside, back behind the apartment, and I dug a hole, and I buried him. Well, like two weeks later, I was like thinking about him, and I wondered what he looked like at this point. So I went back, and I dug him back up. And there were just maggots all over his body, um, it smelled, well, like you would imagine, like a, a dead crab would smell. You there smell. were maggots on the hermit crab? Yes. How big was this hermit crab? Uh, the size of a clementine. Hermit crabs get that big? Yes. I've yes. never seen a hermit crab that looked like it was more than like, Dude, you know. they can get a little bit bigger than that, I promise you. Huh. Some can get like the size of like a, a clementine. I've never had one. Well, the hermit crab. I've had several. Hmm. I know. But my point is, I'm on my hands and knees holding his like little decaying body. There's maggots. The smell is horrible. I start vomiting. And it's just a horrible experience. And then I was like, I'll never dig up a dead thing again. <laughs> but then later, I did. I dug up one of my dogs. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, to move it to my parents' new home they bought. Because it was in a temporary backyard of the place I was renting. My dog, Riley. And a year later, my dad suggested we dig Riley up and move him to their place that they had bought. And I was like, are you sure? And he was like, you buried him in that igloo cooler, right? And you duct taped it real good. He's like, it's, to it's totally sealed. So we dug Riley up. As soon as we hit the igloo cooler and got all the dirt away, the smell hit me. It was like dank earth and death. I, I just immediately started vomiting. I have a really bad... If a smell hits my nose, I will fucking puke. But anyways, my dad's like, get out of here. I'll get it. So then he reaches down and grabs the handle like on one side of the igloo cooler and pulls it upwards. And the duct tape had eroded so it wasn't like watertight. And rainwater had been gathering 
inside of this cooler. So all this death water came gushing out of it and splashing up everywhere. Just put it back. Just put it back and cover it back up. My dad put it on the back of his truck and took it down the street of my neighborhood. The whole neighborhood was filled with the smell of death (laughs) for the rest of the day. And he drove it back to their house and he buried it for me. But that was a traumatic experience. Uh, Yeah. I would have just left it, I think. I couldn't leave Riley there because I knew one day I'd be moving and I wanted him in a permanent place that I could visit him. Oh, God. (laughs) Anyways, so this body that Anatoly dug up was in bad condition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay. So he moves He moves the body uh, far out to the side of the cemetery. He can't take it home yet. It's too stinky, and it's also too heavy. And he comes up with this concoction of salt and baking soda. Yeah. He gets the salt and the baking soda, and a lot of this he starts putting in these pantyhose and making these little kind of desiccant packets that he starts shoving up in the body. Like those little packets you find in um, boxes of shoes or new clothing. Yeah, yeah, except uh, (laughs) bigger and shoved in a dead person instead of shoes. Absolutely. So he would shove these packets of this desiccant up into the bodies. Uh, I believe was he also sprinkling some of this on the bodies? Right, yeah, kind of packing them in with it. So he's going out here over and over again. Uh, with these desiccant packs and sprinkling this desiccant on this corpse off to the side of the cemetery, but he's not completely out of view of the cemetery. And so occasionally people would see him out there doing something. Yeah. And uh, he managed to convince people he was just out there feeding birds. <laughs> At night? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what he said. <laughs> So once this body was dried out uh, and it was considerably lighter than it had been when it had all that fluid in it, uh, he shoved it into a duffel bag and he took it home. And when he got there, he started shoving rags and things inside of it because the, the body had shrank. And so he was trying to kind of counteract some of this by, by shoving things in the body. That's right, because... With this drying process that he was doing, he could not prevent that body from the withering and shrinking that occurred. Yeah. Yeah. And so once he shoved those rags in there, he would sew the body back up and it would look a little bit more natural than before. But this first child that that he took from the cemetery apparently had some kind of head trauma uh, because he says that, that part of this child's skull was crushed. And... So to fix this, he apparently, I never found out why he he had this item, but uh-huh. he already had a skull okay, right. in his house. And <laughs> everything that I've seen about this, it, it doesn't really go into a lot of detail about why he had that first skull. Yeah. Uh, so I'm assuming that because he was an academic, maybe this was uh, part of some kind of biology class, something that... Uh, it, it, they they never really expressed that it was that odd, that the yeah. first skull was that odd. So maybe this was something he had because of part of his work. But anyway, this first child has its skull crushed, uh, died some, from some kind of head trauma. Mm-hmm. And so he takes the skull that he already has and carves a piece out of that skull to replace the crushed portion of the skull on the body that he had just dragged home. Okay. Uh, and then, then he starts... Uh, 
trying to make this body look more like a doll. Yes. <laughs> How did he go about doing that? Well, so he would wrap the limbs of this corpse uh, with strips of cloth uh, to provide fullness to this body. Because, you know, through the drying process, it's lost a lot of its uh, girth. It's uh, shriveled and smaller. And uh, and you want to wrap the limbs in cloth to kind of hide the, the desiccated flesh and what have you. Um, and to make this corpse look more like a doll. Okay, so later on, with future girls that he would end up digging up and taking back to his place, he started making these wax masks, okay? So he uh, wanted to cover up their corpse faces, and he was making these masks, and he was decorating them with fingernail polish and lipstick, and they're really horrifying to see. Um, They're his idea of um, what a child's face might look like in hell. Um, yeah, and you know, and, and these, <laughs> if if you see the pictures of what he was doing to these corpses, it, oh my god, I it, wanted to talk to you about the way he would position them throughout his house, like. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, first of all, he, I guess, what he did is better than having people come over and seeing a couple dozen child corpses in your house. Yes. Uh, so instead of that. People come over and assume that he is just the shittiest doll maker in the world. Yeah. And Moskvin was already known for his doll collection. He was already uh, an avid collector of dolls. So it's not like really weird that now he's like made these child-sized dolls in his house. And, you know, he has them like sitting on... Well, it's weird. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like it came out of nowhere. Yeah. Okay. Also... So this process he's doing of making his little corpse dolls, he's always doing this when his parents have gone away, like on holiday. They're they're leaving all the time, going on vacations, mm-hmm. and then they're coming back, and it's like, oh, more dolls. He's made more, he's made dolls, more dolls, and he's not getting any better at this. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, he should probably stick to uh, linguistics. <laughs> but his parents tolerated his obsession and his craft. If it wasn't odd enough... Uh, disturbing and terrible enough that he is making these these dolls out of these child corpses. He starts doing some really creepy things with them, too. Yes. He doesn't have sex with them, though. No, he doesn't. Which, which... is apparently surprising to a lot of people. Yeah, I was surprised. I was kind of surprised, too. I thought that that was what this was all about. Yeah. But no, he has uh, little tea parties. Yes, he has little birthday parties he throws for each child corpse doll uh, in his bedroom. Uh, he celebrated holidays with them. Like, these were very much his children. Yeah, and he, you know, this this is a historian. This is a guy who likes his research. Yes. Every one of these children that he dug up and took home with him, he went to great lengths to look up their background stories and find out things about them yes. that he could talk with them about. Exactly. And he... He started talking to them from before he even dug them up. He, when he would go to these cemeteries at night, uh, you know, because he was so steeped in uh, Celtic studies, one of the things that uh, the Celts were known for was uh, speaking to their dead. And they would go and they would lay on the gravesite of their lost loved ones and, you know, talk to their spirit. And so that's what he is saying that he's doing. He would go and he'd lay on the graves of these children, which he, you know, had already researched and knew about, and he felt like he was talking to them and speaking to them, and he swears that he would ask their permission before he would dig them up. Yeah, he said that um, 
some of these children, he would lay on their graves and that they would ask him if they could go for a walk with him. Yes. So all during this, Moskvin's still publishing as a contributor to these newspapers and magazines. In the last article that he published in Necrologies, Moskvin seems to have confessed to what kind of led up to this. He described how in 1979, he was 13 years old, and he was stopped by uh, people all dressed in black on his way home from school. And uh, one of these people dragged him over to a coffin that contained the body of this 11-year-old girl. So they were doing this funeral procession. Right. And the mother of this little girl dragged him over there. And according to Anatoly, the mother forced him to kiss this little girl. Uh, And he said, quote, I kissed her once, then again, then again. And he says that this ended with the girl's mother putting a wedding ring on his finger and on the dead girl's finger. Um, (laughs) And now this is before he got caught. So um, nobody seems to dispute this story. Right. But this also kind of sounds like sort of a fantasy that he concocted. Yeah. You think that this scenario sounds a little too ritualistic with the black robes. To be real. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of, do you ever go on, have you ever been on like a Yahoo Answers or Yahoo Questions or whatever it is? No. And you'll see uh, <laughs> you'll see things on there, though, where it's like these guys clearly have this fantasy and they kind of get off on making other people believe it. So yes. <clears throat> you'll see questions like, when I was in high school, my friend's mother came out in high heels and a bikini and, <laughs> you know, stomped on my balls or something. Yeah. Did that ever happen to anybody else? <laughs> That's what this strikes me as. You know, I think that this is maybe just a fantasy yeah. that even though I think that I kind of believe that this was not sexual for him, or at least that wasn't the main motivi- yeah. oh, motivator so. behind what he was doing. But I still think that this scenario may not have happened. And that might have just been a, a Yahoo fantasy. Hmm. Interesting point. I don't know. When I read it, I feel like this did happen. He did happen to be hanging out in the cemetery as he did when he was a kid and happened to see this funeral procession. And um, I can believe these Russian town folk beckoned him over there to honor this dead little girl and kiss her waxy forehead. (laughs) Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I I tend to just not believe anything. I know. But you know what? Obviously, you don't believe in magic. Because it's not real. Yes. And I'm stating that. But you do have to believe that... There are people that do believe in it and do gather and do rituals. That does happen. So that's not weird. We can't deny that that does happen because that does happen. People get together and do fucked up shit with robes on. Well, yeah, but not walking down the middle of the street with a dead child. This is Russia. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell do you think goes on in Russia? I don't think that this is normal even in Russia. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying I think he did kiss... A dead girl's head. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know if the wedding ring thing happened. Yeah, that sounds I, ridiculous. They, they wouldn't be giving away wedding rings. Uh, they need the gold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So at some point, while he's developing his collection of child corpses, he's having these tea parties with them. He mm-hmm. throws birthday parties for them on yeah. their birthdays. He also starts 
inserting various things into the chest cavities of these corpses. Yes, like what? Uh, well, when he got found out, this really creepy scenario took place where the cops come in and they're starting to remove these remains and a music box starts playing mm-hmm. from inside one of the corpses. And this is where I got sidetracked for like <laughs> so long because everything that you see says that the song that was playing in this music box was a song called The Bear Loves Honey. Okay. I could not find this fucking song. Yeah. I did everything. Like I had Bear Honey translated into Russian. And then I looked for that. Yeah. I looked for songs called The Bear Loves Honey. I found an American song. Uh-huh. But it was a country music song. <laughs> That I don't think lends itself well to being the music in a music box. Okay. But it was the closest thing that I found. So I looked yeah. up how popular country music, American country music is in <laughs> Russia. They actually like it okay over there. But I still don't think that this was the song. Yeah. I found another song called Bear Loves Honey. That's a Russian children's song. That would make sense. But it's too new. Okay. I don't think that this is a song either. And that song also doesn't sound like a music box song. Okay. So I looked up the top 400 songs that typically get included in music boxes. I know one of them that has Teddy Bear in the title. Which one? Teddy Bear's Picnic. Teddy Bear's Picnic. (gasps) I am not certain. Okay. But I feel like the translated articles that we're seeing. Yeah. I feel like the song that was in that music box was probably Teddy Bear Picnic. Oh, my God. So imagine if you're one of these police officers. Yeah. You've discovered that there's this collection of almost 30 corpses of children that have been wrapped in wax, dressed up in this frilly attire. And you're tasked with getting these things out of there. Yes. And you go to pick one up and you hear this. I want to go back a minute and talk about how amazing it is that Anatoly did not have sex with his little child corpse dolls. Amazing. Amazing. You're proud of him for this. Yeah, <laughs> for showing the restraint. Um, okay. <laughs> I feel like I could show that same restraint. Are you proud of me for not having yes, sex okay. with the corpse? I mean, children? of course, I would not have sex with him either. But you do know that I have been known to have sex with dolls. What yeah. Okay. I'm just I believe that you've told this story before and you made me cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to tell it again and let me leave it in this time? I mean, I'll just say when I was little, and this is true, it happened a lot with my Kindle. I would pull down his little swim trunks and get on top of him and hunch him. And then, you know. But he's only like. No, I know. 12 inches he's tall. just a little 12 inch tall doll. I know. <laughs> but he still had a little mound between. <laughs> you oh. hunched the <laughs> the Kindle mound. Yes, because in the 80s, there definitely was a mound. How could there. you even feel that? Because, I mean, like, it's a doll. It's, like, I a guess foot it's, long, it's, and but the mound is, like, what, like, an eighth of an inch? Part of it is mental, okay? Okay. But, you know, I had that faux bear rug that I got from the Smoky Mountains one time when me and my parents went on vacation. This is the story that should have appeared in a previous episode, but that Samantha made me delete. 
So go ahead and tell that story again. Okay. My parents bought me this luxurious black bear faux rug. And it was so comfortable. And it had this huge fake bear head with this big plastic nose on the end. And when I was little, I would definitely get on top of that head and ride it all night. (laughs) And I'm talking, I'm like six. The head. Yeah. The big plastic nose to be specific. (sighs) But the head was a perfect sized amount. I'm sorry. What was... Did did this stuff ever calm down with you? I mean, are you like? Yes, absolutely. No, absolutely. At a certain age, I definitely stopped fucking around with my dolls and stuff like that, and weird objects, and garden hoses. How old were you when you <laughs> when you stopped doing this? Thirty. Like um, uh, no, hey, I'll be honest. <laughs> probably like eleven. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. That's too old. No, probably like uh, ten. <laughs> You're still doing this, aren't you? Are you kidding me? Don't even suggest that. <laughs> you sound like you're lying. That sounded very That's forced. crazy. That is, I'm a grown woman. <laughs> you're... No, and you're looking at me because you're trying to make me break down like, oh, I, I do do that, but I do not. <laughs> okay, so you don't, you don't hunch bow polar bear rugs anymore. No, and it was a black bear, a great Smoky Mountain black bear. Specifically from the Smoky Mountain region. Yeah. <laughs> was that part of the fantasy, or did it say that on it somewhere? No, I did, that's just what it was. I'm okay. Just, I'm just giving you facts. Anyways, I'm just saying, it's really impressive he didn't diddle those dolls. I'm glad he didn't. Good Lord. That would have been horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> just like, I think at the point where you're just... <laughs> got a collection of almost 30 dead children in your house. I mean, like, it's almost... A variable crypt. Well, yeah, but I mean, you already have hit this level of fucked upness that I'm not sure it would really be that much worse if he had sex with them. I mean, like, I think you've already hit a ceiling of fucked up at this point, you know? Yeah, damage It almost has been doesn't done. even matter what you do with them <laughs> no. once you get to that point. <laughs> but by all reports, he respected them. True. So let's talk about how he got caught. Yes. Because it was kind of weird. Because he was doing this so much and never got busted doing this. What he, what actually led to him getting caught uh, was, you know, we've mentioned several times that he was a contributor to several newspapers around town. And he would write these historic articles and talk about his research in these cemeteries. He wrote one article about a uh, Muslim cemetery that he had visited and some of the research that he had done out there. And some people in the Muslim community got upset about this for whatever reason. And they started writing in. And so the paper stopped letting Anatoly contribute to that publication. And <laughs> right. Anatoly took this like a 11-year-old child having a hissy fit. Absolutely. He goes out to the Muslim cemetery, just starts kicking shit over, painting things on tombstones. Mm-hmm. And so when he's doing this... He gets the attention of a special unit of the police force that deals with extremism. Yes, the uh, Center for Combating Extremism. Sorry, that's what they're called. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, no, but yeah, he gets, he gets, the, he gets their attention. Yes. And, uh, I mean, this is their job. They go out looking for extremists who do this kind of thing. Right. And so because he had this hissy fit and started doing all the shit in the Muslim graveyards where he's not you know, this is even outside of the digging up the corpses things. But now he's got the the attention of this this law enforcement group who's going out there and making casts of uh, 
footprints. Yes. They're fingerprinting things. You know, they're actually legitimately investigating this now. Yeah. There's a couple of reasons the cops may have shown up to his door originally. If I'm a cop, this is just the guy I want to go talk to anyway. Yeah. Because this guy spends so much time in graveyards, just if for nothing else to say, hey, we know you spend a lot of time out there. Have you seen anything? Exactly. You might also consider this guy to be a suspect because that is kind of a weird thing to do. Mm-hmm. You've got all of this terrible shit going on in your local graveyards and you've got one man in town who's... Who spends all of the time All of his time out there. Yeah. That might be the guy. Either way, the cops show up to his place. They walk in the door, realize that the boots that he's wearing matches the boots that they're looking for. And uh, they start looking around at uh, this uh, yeah, they take a hideous tour. doll collection that he's put together. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine initially he says, uh, yeah, I'm a doll maker. I made all of these. And I would have kind of imagined the cop's reaction would be like, you're, you're terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. You're terrible <laughs> at making dolls. These look terrible. <laughs> so it doesn't take him long to realize that these are not just hideous dolls and that he's the worst doll maker in the world. These are actually corpses. Yes. And uh, Anatoly Moskvin gets picked up. He goes to trial, and that's when all of these details start coming out. But also, the parents of some of these children that he dug up show up at this trial. Yes. One of the bodies that he dug up was of this 10-year-old girl named Olga. In 2002, this little girl had gotten held up by someone who that they said was a drug addict. And this person... Stole her earrings, and in the process of this robbery, he hit her in the head with a pipe. He may not have been trying to kill her, but she died. And so that girl's mother was talking about this after the news of what Moskvin had been doing broke. And she talked about how she had unknowingly been visiting this empty grave for almost 10 years. Yes. And she said, quote, I still find it hard to grasp the scale of his sickening work. But for nine years, he was living with my mummified daughter in his bedroom. I had her for 10 years. He had her for nine and Moskvin said a lot of really weird shit during this trial. Oh, he did. He certainly did. <laughs> he told uh, the detectives that, you know, because they had confiscated these these corpses of his, he told them to not bury them too deeply because when he got out, he was just going to go dig them up again. Yes, he did. He also, he told the parents of the victims that he had dug up, you abandon your girls in the cold and I brought them home and warmed them up. Jesus. <laughs> God. I'm sure they liked hearing that. Uh, I also found it interesting, uh, he told interrogators after his, ar- his arrest that um, he was waiting for science to find ways for these girls to live again. That this was all a plan for them eventually to be brought back to life. Like, that was his big motive. Yeah, he seemed to have several motives. <laughs> yeah. uh, he said that his motivation was that his parents wouldn't let him adopt an orphan and bring it to his parents' home, which he lived in. He said that he was waiting for science to catch up with them. He said that he would lay on the graves and these dead little girls would ask him to dig them up. Yes. Uh, He said he was just trying to become an expert in making mummies. No harm. (laughs) (laughs) So here's one last thing about Anatoly Moskvin. He never killed anybody, which means that uh, this isn't the kind of guy that's going to spend his life behind bars. Right. There's a very real possibility that he could be released. Natalia, mother of Olga, one of Anatoly's victims, is horrified by this prospect. She said, This creature brought fear, terror, and panic into my life. I shudder to think that he will have freedom to go where he wants. 
she brought up the fact that Anatoly Moskvin had warned the court that I will return to my girls if he was ever freed. But this now seems forgotten, Natalia said. And she said, neither my family nor the families of the other victims will be able to sleep peacefully. He needs to be kept under surveillance. I insist on a life sentence. I can't say that I disagree with her. Yeah. But that's not going to happen. His psychiatrists were already saying that he has returned to a state of sanity and he's ready to go. Uh, in fact, uh, <laughs> he's engaged now. He is engaged. An intelligent young college graduate who, like Moskvin himself, is interested in history and linguistics, heard Anatoly's story and began visiting him in the hospital. She's even paying for Anatoly's lawyer right now. The two plan to marry once he is released, which may not be that far off. Anatoly's doctors have said that he is in a persistent state of remission and that he is not a danger to anyone, and they have recommended that his treatment should be performed on an outpatient basis. That's going to do it for episode 15 of Where is the Line? If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe through iTunes or whatever your favorite podcasting app might be. Maybe leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. We like reviews. We do like reviews. If you leave us one, we will definitely read it on the air, just like we're about to do with these exceptional people. Ooh. Blaine Duncan writes... This is one of my favorite podcasts. It's well-researched, well-put-together, and a lot of fun. The tangential, the tangential, is that how you say that word, tangential? Tangential. Tangential? Wait, no, it's tangential. God, I can hear it in my head, but my mouth won't say it. Tangential. Say it. Tangential. Tangential. Gential. Gential. Tangential. The tangential. Yeah. The tangential segments never feel tangential and never annoying. (laughs) A great listen. I am pretty sure that Blaine was just fucking with me by making me say the word tangential over and over. For sure. I was actually (laughs) on Blaine's podcast recently talking about Mindhunter. If you want to check that out, you can go to the alabamatake.com. Podcast 88 writes, very funny and fascinating. I'm excited for more. We're excited to bring you more, Podcast 88. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, These (laughs) next two. (laughs) (laughs) These next two are a little bit older. As it turns out, reviews from outside the United States don't show up in the iTunes store in the United States, which I didn't know. I really, I did not know that either. Yeah. So these are a little bit older and we're just now seeing them. It wasn't that we were ignoring you before. NASA Boss writes, This podcast is definitely one of my very favorite true crime pods, crossing all the lines and dotting all the exclamations. Wow. I know. I love that. J. Little Roe writes. Wait. J. Little Roe writes. J. Little Roe. <laughs> Someone with a very confusing name to say that looks like J. Little Roe writes. J. Little Roe. J. Little Roe writes. I hate discussion-based podcasts. I've tried so many, including Joe Rogan, and I couldn't get into it. I hated when two people just talked. 
Fortunately, I have a morbid curiosity, so I saw this podcast posted on Reddit, and I liked the topic, so I tried it out, and I loved it. I have an outdoor job, and I needed podcasts to help me through it. I'm glad I found this, and I'm looking forward to more. I love the discussion between these two people. That's fucking awesome. That is awesome. And you noticed how Jay Lil Rowe said that he saw us on Reddit. Really? Yeah. That's great. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you want to help us out. Put us on Reddit. Yeah, guys. Yeah, somewhere. Spread the word. No big deal, but if you want to put us on Reddit, go ahead. Uh, and you can also say that Jay Little Rowe says that we're better than Joe Rogan. Please say that. You know what? I especially love that part. Me too. <laughs> we're also going to do a contest since our last one went so well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If I got you, the touch. <laughs> if, you, if you leave us a review on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as Apple likes you to call it, Ew. and let us know who you are, we will put your name in a drawing for a cross-stitched Friday the 13th Jason Voorhees picture. And we'll also send some stickers and some additional shit that you don't need with it. Of course. So write those reviews, let us know who you were, and you could be the owner of a... <laughs> cross-stitching of a Jason Voorhees mask and also a few other assorted garbage things. This is a major award, people. Take this seriously. <laughs> and actually, considering the frequency with which we <laughs> receive reviews, if you go and leave a review, you're probably going to be the one that wins it. Yeah, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> We've been making some new friends on Instagram. Rufus the Villain has been chatting us up. He has a podcast of his own called Nerdy Bones. And uh, I have to say that having heard a few episodes, I know more about non-psychedelic mushrooms than anyone else I know. And I've even learned a thing or two about Richard Ramirez, which is kind of surprising. Oh, I am shocked at that. Uh, maybe check that show out if you get the notion. Nerdy Bones. Speaking of Instagram, we know how to do Instagram now, thanks to Liz. We have noisy pictures and everything. Yeah. You know, you weren't kidding when you said I was going to run Instagram into the ground. Yeah, you almost did it. <laughs> but thanks to Liz, our Instagram has not been run into the ground. It's actually okay now. Yeah, I I gotta give Liz props. I'm so glad to have a social media manager now. We do have a social media manager. Her name is Liz. And as it turns out, we have quite a few very talented listeners. A Desperanti Bus is a Canadian who was unfortunate enough to ask for some Where is the Line stickers while I was in Orlando waiting on a plane, which meant that the two of us had a very long conversation. Really? On account of I was bored. Turns out Desperanti Bus is a considerably talented artist who specializes in some very imaginative and morbid work. Have you seen any of this? Yes, I did. It's really good. I agree. So if you're listening, Desperanti Bus, uh, make some prints and let me know. I'll buy one. I'd love to have one in the studio. Oh, absolutely. Speaking of talent, Corey, who was one half of the hilarious vagina couple <laughs> who took me out drinking while I was in Orlando, sent us our first ever listener gifts. Oh my god. She makes these amazing rings out of wood and I believe resin. The wood though comes from different places that Corey visits 
uh, and she finds the wood on site. The rings that she sent to us, the wood, one of them came from the gulf and the other one came from a branch that she found herself in a very small cemetery. Thank you so much for these rings, Corey. Yes, thank you. We love them. <laughs> we do love them. And uh, thank you also, Carrie Joe and Corey both for hanging out with me while I was in Orlando. We've got a couple of voicemails to listen to. This first one is from Amber from Alabama, and this is her third time calling in. Keep them coming, Amber, and we'll keep playing them. We always love hearing from you. Oh, yes. Hey, Kevin and Samantha. It's your favorite Amber in Alabama, I guess. I mean, you may know somebody else named Amber that you like more. But anyway, I just found out I was getting a coffee cup and stickers for my photo of when I forced my kid to be Napoleon Dynamite for Halloween. So I'm really super excited about it. I'm going to drink coffee and other fun substances from my cup. And I can't wait for the new episode. It's coming out the 13th. And I'm super excited. Hope you guys are having a great day. And yeah, deuces. Hey, Amber. So whenever that Where's the Line coffee mug arrives, we would love a photo of you drinking whatever delicious, nasty liquid of your choice. Maybe the Where is the Line drink that you mentioned earlier. Oh, most definitely. And send us the ingredients and we'll have one too. That's a great idea. So we've had a few intoxicated voicemails in the past, but we've got a brand new champion. You're going to be hard pressed to beat this one. This person called us three times and each time progressively drifted further and further into the indiscernible. So we ran this voicemail through uh, some speech to text software. <laughs> so once uh, we're going to play this voicemail, but once it gets a little uh, hard to understand, we're going to drop the volume a little bit and uh, let you hear what our software translator believed this person to be saying. So I think my favorite curse word is cunt nugget. Cunt nugget is definitely the favorite. This is not going to be the Those dogs that you thought that were really amazing are also assholes. Oh, man. Oh my man, there are people. There are people that if they call at 4-2, you know, thank us in China like they're not getting any. Thanks, Shannon. I would drink gin at the new Santa Fe Arena, but it's too expensive. Anyway, so I think Kevin's voice is a massage, but I just have my 10 channels. But if I could have my head. They're censoring the only things I think I'll look at. I could give you guys high fives if I had five. Inaudible. Tony, this is me calling. I'm just trying to eat a thousand. Inaudible. I'm not an actor. That Patricia Militia is viable though. Inaudible. Inaudible. Thank you so much for that voicemail. It really is 
<laughs> one of my favorites that we've gotten so far. Uh, she hit a home run with that. Absolutely. <laughs> so you don't absolutely have to be shit-faced to give us a call. No. But if you are shit-faced, pull out your phone and dial 386-227-7848, and I believe that spells something. Dumb ass tit. So you can give us a call and uh, tell us anything you'd like. Give us some show ideas. Yeah, show ideas, um, praise. Actually, I respond very well to praise. Samantha's really big into praise, and Samantha is actually uh, a little bit upset right now because someone <laughs> messaged us and said that they had a crush on me, and Samantha <laughs> does not have a crush yet. Okay, I just want to say I was not jealous. I was happy for you. I was just concerned for myself. Mm-hmm. And my standing. I believe that you sent me two or three text messages in a row that said, I put a picture up that was so cute. Okay. The deal with that is, I was certain that that photo I put up was so babelicious that it was imminent that I was about to get someone crushing on me. Yeah, well, if you have a crush on Samantha, please, please, for my sake... Give us a call at 386-227-7848. What does that spell? Dumb ass tit. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you again the next time your calendar strikes 13. Goodbye. Kids, when you go to bed, stay away from your closets and don't look under 